Easter Sunday. It's an easy sermon. You guys know what text I'm going to. You know what you're going to hear, right? Jesus died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Yada, yada, yada. Amen. Good deal? Isn't Easter supposed to be really stinking exciting? Like, if we're going to get fired up over something, shouldn't we get fired up over Easter? It's got to beat the Mega Millions lottery. But it doesn't always seem like it. Think about that. If you had a choice of new life in Christ or $640 million, what are you taking? Now, I know what you should be taking, and I have, I have confidence that we would take it. But isn't there a little bitty like, oh, man, that's a lot of money. But eternal life is so much greater. What we're going to do today is try to get a more full glimpse of what Easter really is. So that we could get a little bit more excited, not just today, but every day. Not just an emotional glee that, that fades, but, but a deep supernatural uh, excitement about what happened on Easter morning. To do that, I want to share a story with you of, of something that troubled me immensely years ago and still troubles me to a degree today. See, as most of you know, I was, I was born and raised Jewish. And every year we celebrated Passover. We had a Seder every year. And there was a lot of tradition that, that went with it and it was a lot of fun and you know, the highlight for me was was every Passover at the end of the first night we would hide a, a matzah part of the afikoman you all have no idea what afikoman is it sounds like a Jewish uh, narcotic used in bars it's not it's it, it's a matzah broken into three pieces you you'd hide part of it the grown-ups would and then the kids would go looking for it never found it got got a prize it was the Jewish version of the Easter egg hunt we had it first <laughs> and, and I remember you know as I got older, the kids were, were allowed to hide one for the grown-ups. And one year I taped one to the outside of the house through my cousin's window. and They claimed that was unfair. It had to be in the house. So the next year I went into the toilet basin. I put it in a baggie and nobody found that. It was invent. I loved it. It was a blast. Had very little focus on what Passover was all about. But, but we had a Seder. In the beginning of the Seder, you'd read from the Haggadah and you'd, you'd have you know, four questions in response to why is this night different from all other nights. And then I came to faith. And I remember when I first started reading the New Testament scriptures, I started in Luke. And I was floored initially by the fact Jesus was Jewish. And then I was further floored by the fact that Jesus celebrated Passover every year. He'd go to Jerusalem with his family. And then it just blew my mind that Jesus died right at Passover time. In fact, the last meal he had with his disciples was almost certainly the Seder. And I came to faith, and Passover came. And there was this month-long gap before Easter. I thought, what the heck happened? Passover, Jesus' death, you can't separate the two. He came in in the triumphal entry at Passover time. He, he ate the, you know, what we call the Last Supper, where we partake in as a church family as communion. That's the Seder. But how do you get a month gap between the two? Practically speaking, the Jewish calendar hasn't changed. Jews celebrate Passover at the same time of year Jesus did. It's a new calendar in place we live by, that BCAD thing. You know, it wasn't like when the Jews were like, oh my gosh, 112 years before the Messiah comes. We know it by the calendar. Calendar changed. And what happened was, Easter became a Christian holiday, and Passover stayed a Jewish holiday. Over time, the gap grew further and further to the point that today... If you're a Jew, you celebrate Passover. If you're a Christian, you celebrate Easter. And if you're a guy like me, when you come to faith, you feel like you're betraying your heritage until you realize you're not. We've got a screwed up calendar. So what I want to do today is I want to 
look at Easter through the lens of Exodus 12, I want to um, give us a, a fuller, a truer glimpse of Easter, which we can only have if we understand it through the context of Passover. You see, if you celebrate Passover apart from Easter, you're sadly wasting your time. But if you celebrate Easter apart from Passover, you're missing the fullness of what you're really celebrating. So that's what I want to do today. I want to back up to Exodus 12. I want to look at the Passover story that God has recorded for us there. And then I want to unpack it and show you how what we have to celebrate in Easter is more unfathomable than we can ever fully comprehend on this side of eternity. So if you would, flip to Exodus 12. We'll start in verse 1. Well, hold on a minute. Let me set it up for you a little better than that. How did we get to Exodus 12? Well, the, the long story short is that, remember this guy Joseph who got sold into slavery by his brothers? Potiphar. Had some trouble with Potiphar's wife, sat in the prison, came out in the prison after the guy had the dream issues, the, you know, the baker and the cupbearer. Goes to the, the head honcho's house. He's made second in command, and a famine comes in the land. Joseph's wisdom, they saves his people. When his brothers come, we have, I love the stories. His brother comes in, they, they come and they go. The father's freaking out eventually. They find out who he is as he reveals himself. They come into Egypt, and the Israelites are saved, in, in large part because of how God has brought Joseph to Egypt. Then the Israelites multiply in number, and a new king, a new pharaoh comes to power who doesn't remember Joseph, and they begin this horrible process of, of killing the firstborn males of the Jews, they're too big. They want them smaller. And we come to the story of Moses, who is hidden by his parents, and he's floated in the reeds, and he's found. And he's brought into Pharaoh's house as an adopted child who's raised up there. And one day he comes out, and he sees a Jew being beaten, a Jewish slave being beaten by an Egyptian. And he strikes him, and he kills him. And when they find out what's happened, he flees for his life. And he runs to Midian, to the wilderness. And for 40 years, he's out there until he encounters God at the burning bush. And God says, go back. You're going to set my people free. So we have the ten plagues. We have nine of them. And after the nine plagues, we come up to the tenth plague, which brings us to Exodus 12. And now I'm going to read the text, I promise. Exodus 12, verse 1, it says... The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. You shall be... That your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregants of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, they alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Hold on there a minute. Listen to this. I'm glad that 21st century Americans did not live in Egypt at this time. You know why? This is what we'd be saying. Oh, come on, man. That sounds horrible. Do you think Martha Stewart would cook the lamb that way? You're going to boil it. Boiled lamb? Come on. We can do better than that. And God, seriously, painting blood on the doorpost? Come on. Like, really? You know it's going to mess up the siding real bad, and then we're going to have to fix it. Here's the deal, God. You want me out. You can spare me. But that's ridiculous. Now, people haven't really changed much over time. I bet you there were some Israelites whining and complaining. I think that happened in the wilderness after. That didn't just happen all of a sudden. We got to do what? That's not going to taste so good. That seems nasty. We don't read of that in Scripture, but you know what's going on. Stop and think and put yourself in the context of it. What would you be thinking right now? We all know how this plays out, don't we? But what would you be doing right there? In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. And I drop down to verse 25, and it says, And when you come out, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Here's a couple things that struck me as I was, as I was reading through this account. Look what uh, God said to Moses and Aaron. How did the people know to paint the blood? To get the lamb, what type of lamb, to sack, to kill it, to cook it, how to cook it. How did they know this? It goes back to the beginning. It says here, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, In the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And in verse 3, Tell all the congregation. Aren't you glad they told them what to do? What happened if Moses says, God, I'm a man of, uh, of poor words. I don't know what to say. God said, Moses, we had this conversation, remember? We did the nine plagues. Speak up, buddy. There was no complaint. And Moses and Aaron went and they told. I'm glad they went and they told. This might have had a different outcome if they didn't go and tell. We might like to assume God would just do it a different way, but Moses and Aaron walked in obedience. They told. And, and they went out and they told everybody what to do. But did God really need the blood on the doorpost to know who to pass over? Go ahead and read about the nine other plagues. God sure seemed to know who the Israelites were and who weren't. So why the blood on the doorpost? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting weary. I can't remember who's mine and who's not. So put some blood all over the place. And then when I go by, I'll know, oh yeah, 
Why? You ever stop and think about why the blood? I'll show you in a minute a little more detail how this was not an isolated event. The Passover celebration, the events of, of all of the plagues culminating in the 10th plague all pointed forward. Everything in the Old Testament pointed forward. It has a perfect purpose. These are not haphazard, random events where God's reacting. God is always working perfectly. He's never had to recalibrate or recalculate. He's always working His will perfectly. And when this happened, it's pointing forward. Why the blood? We'll look at why the blood in a minute as we, we see what culminates in the great Passover. Notice also the people had to paint the blood. God could have said, I'm going to put blood on your house. Don't freak out when you see it. I put No, he says, you put the blood on your house. Why? Again, you'll see the culmination of what God calls us to with the greater blood in the future. What did God free the Israelites from? Physical bondage and slavery. These were people who lived for 430 years, it tells us, in slavery to the Egyptians. God told Pharaoh, let my people go, or it's going to really hurt, and they're going to go anyway. And he got them out from physical bondage physical slavery. And he called them out to bring them to a physical promised land. That's where they were going. Why? Why did he choose these people? Why, why the Israelites? God loves Jews. Every Jewish person knows that, right? It's just some, something cool about you. Why did God pick the Jews? Why not some other group of Gentiles? And why didn't he pick a bunch of Syrians? They were around. Why, why not the Egyptians? Why the Jews? Well, the Egyptians hated God. So did the Jews. All people are born in depravity. We, we all rebel against God. What was it that attracted God to the Jews? You want to know the secret? We don't know. He chose them for some reason. He made the Jewish people his chosen people. And he brought them out of slavery, physical slavery, to bring them to a promised land. And for many, many years, with, with gaps in between, you could read about the boy king who brought Passover back. We'll do that another time. But for many, many, many years, Jewish people celebrated Passover. They celebrated God's deliverance from bondage and captivity in Egypt. And the smart ones, the theologically astute ones who knew Scripture, looked forward through Passover for the anticipation of the coming Messiah. They knew it wasn't an isolated event. They knew it would be culminated, not just in physical uh, captivity being freed from, but in spiritual captivity. Okay? And as time went by, apathy grew, complaining came about, and if you go and talk to a normal Jewish person today as they celebrate Passover, there ain't no looking forward to the Messiah for both. It's all tradition, it's all routine, it's not a whole lot of fun. If, if you walk in, you know, you want to know a dirty little secret? I'll cover the microphone on this. Do you know most Jews don't eat lamb on Passover? Brisket. I'm not kidding you, brisket is what most Jews eat at Passover. Ask them why they eat pass brisket. Tastes better than lamb. You see, apathy and indifference as God works slowly, and today they've obviously missed something. But back then, you even had apathy and indifference creeping in. But for those who, who didn't allow that to happen, who leaned on God, there was a routine. There was a, a, a comfortable commonality to what happened at the Seder. Year after year. You, you, would, you would ask the questions, you'd read the book, you'd eat the bitter herbs, you, you'd have the unleavened bread, you'd have the cleansing of the house of leaven. And then all of a sudden, one year, it got crazy. There were a group of guys celebrating the Passover together. One was a donkey rider named Jesus. And they sat in a room, and we pull all the way ahead to Matthew 26. 
And in Matthew 26, starting in verse 17, Jesus went crazy on Passover. He messed up the routine. He flipped the script and changed it for all time. He's having the Passover. I don't know if these guys hit a matzah. I don't know when that whole thing started. But, you know, can't you see Jesus hiding the matzah? I bet you if they had toilets, he would have put it in the back basin. Because he had fun. But I don't know they hit a matzah, but I know this. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, Small print. The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared the Passover. Drop down to verse 26. It says, Now as they were eating the Seder, the Passover meal, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now these guys got quiet, I guarantee, because that's not what happened at Passover. That's not what you're supposed to do, Jesus. What are you talking about? And as they stared at him, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You all know who Jesus is, right? This is the Passover lamb, John tells us. This is the Lamb who was crucified. This is Passover complete. When we take communion as a church family, we're celebrating Passover, Jesus style. When we don't celebrate Passover, when we forget what happened at Passover, we miss so much of Easter. Think about this, guys. It's hard in our context. But a people lived in physical bondage, being beaten and and repressed and and having a horrible existence under the repressive rule of a wicked, evil pharaoh who just put a burden on their back they could barely handle. And for 430 years, for some reason, God allowed it to go on. And then one day, God brought his people out of captivity, miraculously out of captivity, because he chose them unto himself to bring them to a promised land. Now that's really stinking cool, but yet they complained. But he chose them and he brought them out. You and I live wonderful physical lives. We have heat and air conditioning and food and comfortable clothes. I got a fan behind me because I complain if it goes over 70 degrees. I'm a wuss. I wouldn't have lasted a day in Egypt. You want me to do what? We have such a comfortable existence that at times we can lose focus on the spiritual situation we were in apart from Christ. If I was stuck in physical slavery, I would rejoice like nobody's business if God delivered me. How much more so should we be rejoicing when we're removed from spiritual captivity to sin and separation from God for all of eternity? Now this is what makes Easter pretty cool. The Israelites came out. They went to the prom. Well, the Israelites came out. Next generation went to the promised land. The the ones that came out were freed from slavery. But they ended up in the wilderness because they had some problems. You and I, we have been brought out for all of eternity. Not by anything we do. And you can't lose it when you got it, no matter what. How about that? It's a gift of eternal life. It's free. It's yours forever. It's because of what Jesus did. And we truthfully are going to a physical promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, but that pales in comparison to what we have on top of that, 
an eternal relationship with God himself. The, the pillar of cloud and smoke. The, the, the guy who lived in the Holy of Holies, he who made all things for himself, chose us to live in an eternal relationship with him because he so loves us. You see where this is going? You, you see how Mega Million starts to go down a little bit and, and Easter starts to go up? So, God chose them. He said, paint the blood. I don't know if you know this or not, but the good news is we don't have to paint ourselves with blood. But we do have to apply the blood of Christ to our lives. God could have said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my very own son, skip the dead, whoever believes in him part. I'm just going to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all people would have eternal life, right? He could have made us into robots, forced us to choose to accept him, and we're all good. But that's not what God said. For God so loved the world, remember Christmas, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, a.k.a. takes a hyssop branch and paints it on themselves, shall have eternal life. God provides the blood. God opens our eyes to see whose blood it is, who we are, who he is. And he draws us to himself in a way we can't fathom. And from our perspective, what we do is we look at God and we say, God, yeah. I'm going to look below the surface and I recognize I got some problems. I'm separated from you by my actions, by my attitude, and by my being. I am unclean and unable to come before a perfect and holy God. I don't understand why you chose me, but I know you have. And I accept the gift that you offer in the blood of Christ. Will you apply it to my life, God? And he will. And he brings you out of captivity. It is the most amazingly wonderful thing that in our indifference, we can allow apathy to creep in and just kind of give it a happy Easter. Got to go to brunch, hide some eggs. Woohoo! That's okay stuff, but we can't miss what happened. You see, the, the objection I hear all the time is, that just seems so narrow and intolerant that God would, would have one way to himself. That's ridiculous. You're saying that everybody else is wrong? Stop and back it up. Why does God even provide one way? You know God was not lonely in heaven. I need more people. These Israelites aren't doing it for me. Let's offer it to the whole world. No. You want to know why God chose all people to have the opportunity to come to him? You can know. But if you opened your eyes to the truth and you accepted the gift of Easter, you know you can't lose it and he loves you beyond your ability to comprehend. And then notice when these Israelites had the Passover, they, they had the shoes on, the rope cinched up, the staff in hand, you know what they were to be? Ready to roll. Because something was going to happen, lickety-split, after this evening when God passed through and passed over. They're going to get to go, 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 and they better be ready to run. Because they're about a million plus of them going to hightail it through the water. Well, doesn't Jesus call us to a life like that, as we're chosen by him, a life of preparedness and readiness and activity? You see, God told Moses and Aaron to go and tell the Israelites, get ready. Get a lamb, kill him, paint the blood, dress up, be ready to roll. And because they heard that and obeyed, they were saved. What does God call us to do? Go out and berate people. You tell them, God says do this, and if you don't clean up your act, he's going to beat you down. God hates all types of people. Anyone that disobeys him, any idolatrous person, any sexually immoral person, and he will beat you down, so get your act together, right? That is the beauty of Easter. If you don't clean up, you're going to die. And that's what we... No, wait, wait, wait. I don't think that's what we're supposed to tell people, is it? What are we supposed to tell people? God's coming. God's coming. 
You're either going to meet him when you die or when Jesus comes back. And there's going to be a judgment. Now, God desires that none should be lost, but all should, all should have eternal life. But you've got to decide what you're going to do with that. Are you going to laugh it off? You're going to ignore it? You're going to, you're going to see as Lewis says, play with the mud at the, in the pit in the slum? Or are you going to take the offer for the villa at the seashore? You see, God says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. He says that through Isaiah. He tells us to go out and proclaim that. He tells us not to go tell people, get a perfect lamb and kill it and paint your doorpost. He says, go tell people, I provided the perfect lamb. He sacrificed himself upon the cross for you. His blood is, can be applied to your life if you so choose. If you will call on his name and then you are saved out of bondage, out of captivity to sin, out of separation from God for all of eternity. That's what we're called to go out and proclaim. God loves you no matter what. He loves me. He opened my eyes to the truth. And I was a wreck. Yeah, on the surface it might look good, but if we go a little deeper, it was a mess. I was unlovely. And he made me lovable. And he wants the same for you. But folks, if all we got to offer is this, (laughs) Happy Easter. They're going to look at us like, "Uh, what you got? Oh, I live in an eternal relationship with God. It's awesome. Go to church every Sunday, you gotta do all these things, keep these laws, or he gets mad at you. It's just awesome. You want it? They're gonna look at you like, no thanks. We do the better version, we do the Cadbury version. It's awesome. We get high on sugar at Easter. So, folks, what we gotta do is the hard work, starting right this very moment, of realizing that we come to God through faith, but we grow in our faith by faith. We, we understand the, the depth. Uh, Route 119. Psalm 119, I was reading this morning. Oh, something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, it's in the first 20 verses. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. God needs to open our eyes to see him more fully. The, the veil needs to be cleared more and more. Eventually it will be removed completely. But as we allow God to mature us in our faith and reveal himself to us more fully and take those awkward steps of obedience, little by little we get more and more excited and the apathy goes away and the fallow ground gets broken up. So we get to the point we go out excitedly and passionately and joyfully say to people, He is risen, He is risen indeed. And they look at us like, You are crazy, but at least tell me what makes you so crazy and they realize that it's not craziness, it's actually sanity. But it starts with allowing God to get us excited. It starts with understanding what happened at Passover, what that pointed to, and what happened at the Last Supper. It starts with understanding, you don't have to feel bad for Jesus hanging on a cross. You don't have to get emotional, emotional with it. Oh, poor guy. That must have hurt so bad. Oh, it hurt. But he was not a poor guy. You know, and that people walk by and mock him and say, oh, why don't you call Elijah down and save yourself if you're so powerful? Me? I would have zapped lightning on those suckers right there. Oh, you're messing with me? You're messing with... But Jesus didn't. Those are the people he came to die for. He says, I didn't come to heal the healthy, I came to heal the sick. Jesus could have come off the cross at any time. The pain wasn't too much to bear. The problem was, the difficulty was, when he was praying to God, about the cup being removed, but not his will, God, the Father's will. The issue wasn't the physical pain. The issue was the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on him. Separation from perfect fellowship with the Father. That was our destiny he took in our place. That's the scary stuff. That's the joyful stuff. You see, there have been people who have been crucified in the name of Christ since Jesus died. Peter hung upside down. Joyfully. 
I mean, he was laughing. It hurt. But joyfully, because he knew for who he hung upside down, why he hung there, and where he was going. You offer Peter 640 million drachma or eternal life, it ain't a hard choice. For us, I know what we would choose, but there are part of us that want that mega millions, don't we? My goal, I can't do it for myself, I can't do it for you, but God can do it for each and every one of us, is come before God and say, God, help me see you better. Help me see you more clearly. Help me see myself more clearly. Will you tip the scales the way you want? Because now we understand what Paul is talking about when he says, though I know what I should do, I don't do it. He gets up to the, oh, what a wretched man I am. He ain't wretched no more. He's on the other side. You see, Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead, and the tomb is empty. Here's the cool thing. We're all going to die again if Jesus doesn't come back. But you know death is not a scary thing. Death has lost its sting. The process of going through the transition isn't always fun. But what's on the other side ain't called fun. It is immeasurably beyond that. It's called perfection. It's where we're going. We're being prepared for it right now. And we're given the, the incredible responsibility of going out and telling people what's coming down the road. God's going to be passing through again. The question is, is he going to be passing over? For us, it is over. For the others, we'll see. You can't save them. But you can allow God to get you so fired up in your faith, so joyful beyond comprehension, so that you can rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, and as you go out, see what He does through you. It starts with the small steps of obedience. But it all began with the Passover celebration that culminated on Easter Sunday. Now, in about a minute, we're going to have Passover, Jesus-style. We're going to take communion. I have not hid the matzah. It's on top of the plate. That represents his body. The drink, obviously, represents his blood poured out for us. For those of us who have accepted the gift of Christ, as we partake in it, let's ask him to help us become a celebratory people. Not through the circumstances of life do we see God, but we see God through the circumstances. And we do the hard work of obedience, trusting that He will empower us to do it. And that's what we celebrate. If you haven't accepted Christ, the table's still sitting there. And anybody's welcome. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I don't know why you love me so much, but I know you do. I don't know why you forgave me as you did, but I know you've done it once and all, once and for all. Please, Father God, help me turn from sin and turn to you. Make me your child now and forevermore. You pray that prayer, you take that step, you come forward and you partake just like someone who's been doing it for 50 years. You're part of the family like that. No conditions, no strings attached. Guys, Easter is pretty stinking cool. Take those daily steps of obedience and allow God to show you more and more day by day how cool it is. So each year as we celebrate Easter... I'm going to say to you at the end of the sermon, now I'm going to set it up so it sounds good. I'm going to say to you, He is risen. You're going to repeat back to me, He is risen indeed. And if we could record this, it's going to get louder and louder and louder year by year. And I guarantee you this, I'm not going to have to encourage you to invite your friends and relatives and associates and neighbors. They're going to be begging you to come. Not because of me up front. They may be begging you to shut me up. They're going to be begging to come to worship with brothers and sisters in the Lord so that they can shout out just like we do. You ready? He is risen. He is risen. 
He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Let's pray. I invite you to come forward to partake in communion. And may this Easter be the beginning of why we fully and truly understand what it means to say, Happy Easter. Father God, I thank you so much for what you have done. God, life is a struggle, as if you don't know. God, it is easy to be distracted. It is easy to become apathetic. It is easy to be hurried and lose focus. But I pray on this day you would slow us down. That you would slow our minds down. That you would help us more fully understand the enormity of what happened on that Passover. That you would help us understand how we can see your wrath and your love no more fully than upon Jesus hanging on that cross. That you would give us some time to think through the emotions that must have gone through the people who loved Jesus but didn't understand what happened. And then we might be able to get a glimpse of what it must have been like not only to see the empty tomb, but to see Jesus resurrected. God, we get to see him resurrected one day. We get to stand in the presence of the man who was God who hung on that cross whose arms will be stretched out, not nailed to the cross, but in a welcoming embrace to us as we enter into his eternal presence forever. God, give us greater and greater glimpses of that as we live now to encourage us as we carry on the good fight, as we race the good race, as we press on towards the prize ahead. God, make Easter more awesome for us. Make yourself more awesome to us. You must increase, we must decrease, and the more that happens, the more fully we see the truth. God, I just thank you so much for what you did on the cross and your stamp of approval on the tomb, knowing that death has been conquered, that we are no longer slaves to anything other than you. God, you say to us, what you remind us, what can flesh do to us? Nothing. You are in control of all. You are our perfect heavenly Father. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You will give us all of our needs beyond measure. God, help us understand how loving and perfect you are, how you will care for us perfectly, how you are guiding us and preparing us for eternity in your presence and create us into a joyful people who you speak through and who your light shines through as we go out into the world calling people to you, to their perfect heavenly Father who loves them and at the cost of his very own Son who gave his life, created the opportunity for them to come to an intimate relationship with you forevermore. Father, as we partake in the Seder today and the Lord's Supper and communion, whatever we want to call it. I pray that you would empower us and strengthen us spiritually, that you would reawaken in us, rekindle a fire, stoke it into a massive flame to be used for your glory. I pray we would be reminded anew or afresh of how much you love us, what Christ did for us, and who we are today through his blood being applied to our lives. And it's in the precious and holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I invite you to come forward.